Please join us every week for a new episode of Understanding the Human Condition with Dr. James Flowers. Dr. Flowers and his most admired mentors, respected colleagues, and VIP guests will share valuable insight into underlying health causes, conditions, and issues. These in-depth yet approachable episodes are a great resource for both private individuals and industry professionals. Our esteemed host, Dr. James Flowers, is one of the most recognized and respected names in the field of chronic pain, mental health, and substance use disorders, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Flowers is the founder of J. Flowers Health Institute, located in Houston, Texas. For more information about J. Flowers Health Institute and its concierge services, go to jflowershealth.com or dial 713-783-6655. And be sure to mention this podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Understanding the Human Condition with your host, Dr. James Flowers. Hey, Robin. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? Awesome. We have a special VIP guest. Do you want to... Tell us yeah. who we've got here. One of my one of my favorite people uh, in the world, David Walsh, uh, who is a psychiatric nurse practitioner, which we'll tell everybody a little bit more about. But David, thank you for joining us today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, David's joining us from Austin, Texas, one of my favorite cities in the world too. Awesome. So I thought I'd read a brief bio. Yeah. I'm cool with that. Okay. David is a board-certified family psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner in the treatment of substance use disorders, a graduate of University of Texas, Oakham Horns, where he holds an adjunct faculty position at the UT School of Nursing. David is a published author, speaker, educator, and presenter at professional conferences. In addition to founding Dripping Springs Healthcare, David is the COO of Karma Health, an addiction healthcare company in Austin, Texas. Yeah, and, and I have to say that, that uh, I personally have used, uh, professionally, I guess, have used uh, Karma Health for, gosh, David, a few years now. A few years. really, really enjoy what you do, and you bring so much to uh, treatment facilities and so much of your expertise as a psychiatric nurse, excuse me, psychiatric nurse practitioner to the patients, uh, certainly that I work with, and certainly... Uh, I'm so fortunate and so happy that you're willing to work with our patients at J Flowers Health Institute. I, I feel the same. It's, uh, it, it's a joy and a privilege. Thank you so that. much. Yeah. You're yeah. very popular with the patients. Yes. Very popular. Oh, thank you. They always want to do a second session. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> and you have an inspiring story of how you came to work in uh, the substance use disorder and addiction field. Would you be willing to share that with our audience as far as your journey? Uh, I'm happy to- I'm happy to share Thank you. Uh, how I came to do what it is that I do. Yes, yeah, so I am uh, I'm closing in on 50 years old. And uh, when I was 12 years old in uh, uh, 1983, I went to a police concert with uh, a bunch of guys much older than me. And I tried cocaine for the first time. So I was in sixth grade. And uh, it's sort of that classic story. Like, I did it once, and I just kind of knew the rest of my life like that was it and I, and I was chasing that yeah I was chasing, I was chasing that feeling hmm. for many many years um so uh fast forward through all the uh good bad and ugly that comes with uh alcohol and cocaine use disorder and um when I was 38 years old I'd already been to treatment a couple of different times and um but I really hit um what for me was uh the end of the road um I was uh, very sick hmm. and could not could not live any any longer the way that I was. Um, I was very fortunate to have a uh, 
have parents who did not give up on me. Uh, and my father uh, came and met me in Austin and he, uh, he was driving me back to Atlanta and uh, we were trying to get to Atlanta so I could go to detox. Well, got about halfway through Louisiana and uh, mm -hmm. I started having uh, delirium tremens and seizures and all that good stuff. My dad pulled over at some gas station in the middle of the Louisiana swamps and bought me a 24 ounce beer and went back inside and got a straw for me because my hands were shaking so much that I couldn't hold the beer. Um, and I wound up in a hospital in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, uh, you know, going to the emergency department and all that stuff. And I don't remember it very well. I, um, you know, people talk about DTs. I did experience delirium tremens. And yeah. from what I remember at the outset, it was very frightening. Um, anyway, I was in this hospital for a few days in Tuscaloosa. And I had a, um, had a call button, you know, so that I could call nursing primarily for more uh, benzodiazepines and so i was just hitting it like i was playing jeopardy like sure. it was that little, you know just constantly and um at some point this guy came in and um i always tell this story that it was a nurse and honestly that's my memory of it but he could have been anyone tech respiratory therapist i don't i have no idea uh and and honestly if he was sitting across the table from me today i wouldn't recognize this person um but what i do remember is that he came in he was very kind um, and he took the call button away from me and he sat on the bed across from me and he said, you know, you can be as happy as you want to be or you can be as miserable as you want to be and you have to make that choice. And, um, and that was like, that was not like, that was my white light moment that mm -hmm. for whatever reason, that yeah. person at that time in that place said the right thing to me exactly when I needed to hear it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, I was, I was 30, yeah, I was 38 years old. And I mean, I'm sure I had heard that before in some form or fashion, but had never really internalized it. So I, um, I, uh, wrapped up my stay at the hospital and got a ride to my parents and, um, uh, drank one more night and my dad found me surrounded by a, a case of empty beer cans in his basement the following day after just having been released from the hospital for like 10 days. And uh, he knew of a place in Atlanta um, called Talbot Recovery. Um, and so I went there. I Wonderful treatment there. program. It was fantastic. It was, it was, it was great. Um, uh, 90 of the best days of my life. Um, and then uh I went in there January 14th of 2010. So I've been sober a little over 10 years, closer to 11 than 10 now. Um, and, but the, you know, when I got there, I kept thinking about that guy that I met in the hospital, that nurse, you know, and I kept thinking, you know, if, if I could, um, if I could do something that impactful for mm -hmm. someone else, the way that that guy really touched me, but not even by doing very much other than being kind and, Right. Uh, with some empathy and mm -hmm. and sort of seeing what I was going through and offering about really about as much as I could stand at that point. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, right. I thought if I could do that for other people. Then, then that would be uh, a life well lived. So, um, so I started looking into nursing programs and mm. started taking prerequisites. I, when I graduated college, I was a art major and then I played in rock and roll bands and then I, uh, was in construction, you know, for a long time. So this is all foreign to me, this healthcare stuff. Yeah. So started taking prerequisites and then um, 
looked into nursing programs and then found out about psychiatric nurse practitioner program and uh, thought that sounds pretty cool. And, um, you know, one thing after the next, I lived with my parents for about nine months and then I moved back to Austin and then I got an apartment and then I got a job and, you know, I was riding a bicycle around for a long time. I was making seven bucks an hour. Then I was working at the psychiatric hospital, but blah, blah, blah. Right. One thing I you know led to the next and um, got accepted to the program at UT. Uh, I got my nursing license. In Which is not easy to get accepted into, by the way, at UT. Congrats. Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was, I was thrilled. Oh, boy. I mean, considering where I had been two or three years earlier. Oh, absolutely. Life, I, was, wow. I was thrilled that anyone even wanted to have a conversation with me, much less. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. So, so I started. I, I started that program in 2012. Got my nursing license, and in 2015, I graduated with my psychiatric nurse practitioner license. And uh, so that's how I came to the field. Amazing. That's that, awesome. That is so cool. What What was your biggest takeaway? Uh, do you think was there a defining moment at Talbot that that you remember? One defining moment, or was it the overall 90 day experience? And um. I, I, I will tell you um, something actually that's that's kind of relevant to um, particularly relevant to some of the the folks that we work with at um, the Flowers Institute. Mm -hmm. I remember um, sitting in a group uh, with a guy who was really weeping um, and just very upset because he had had to sell his beach house. No. And that was his bottom. Mm -hmm. And I remember I was sitting there and I was thinking, not kind things. You know what I mean? Sure. Because I was I was I was I was consumed with my you know end of using, which was you know homeless, living on an abandoned bus, and you know no money and all that kind of stuff. You know, and, right. and here this guy, you know, he's weeping about I had to sell my beach house, and so I didn't have much empathy for him at the time. Uh, but you know. I came to realize actually, so I don't know if I had this realization in that moment, but but I had it pretty soon after that. Um, I don't know anything about that guy. You know, mm -hmm. I don't know anything about the beach house. I don't know what that represented to him. I didn't know his childhood. I don't know if, if he was first generation, higher educated, first person to make any kind of money. And he built a beach house on a certain spit of land that him and his grandfather used to fish for their dinner. You know, I don't know. Right. I don't, I, I don't know any of that. And um, I don't know the depths of his pain over it. Now, I, I, I have never broken a bone. Mm -hmm. So my pain, you know, if someone was to, you know, rate your pain 10 on a 10, I, you know, on a, on a 10 scale, if I get a paper cut, it might be an eight. Right. Well, that's my truth because mm -hmm. that's the worst pain that I've ever, ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And so that guy who was weeping over having to sell a beach house sounds like kind of like a high level problem. Right. Mm -hmm. But if that's the worst pain that he's ever experienced, that's the worst pain that he's ever experienced. And that's I right. cannot judge that. Um, and I can't compare it. Right. And mm -hmm. if it brought him to a place where, uh, he was making changes to um, pursue health and happiness. Then, um, then that's what it was, right, for him, you know. And so, and so, I, I don't know that I realized it in that moment, but but that was somehow in there. That was kind of a turning point for me to to start recognizing that um, that everybody has their path, everybody has their pain, everybody has their truth. And mm -hmm. it's not for me to judge. 
uh, I'm just here to help, you know, help folks along their journey if I can and if they want it. And uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm yeah. And so what made you decide to become a psychiatric mental health nurse practitioner as opposed to any other career in in recovery or addiction? And for those who that's kind of a two part question. And then the second part is for those who come from a non-clinical world, um, Mm -hmm. describe what you do. Sure. Um, Okay, so let me describe what I do first. And okay. then, uh, yeah. Um, so I am a psychiatric nurse practitioner. Um, nurse practitioner is a nurse with an advanced level of training um, who uh, is able to assess, diagnose, um, treat, prescribe for conditions. There's family nurse practitioners who are you know, similar to a primary care uh, physician psychiatric nurse practitioners who um, uh, do much of the same work as a psychiatrist. And there's some differences uh, state to state in terms of licensure and scope of practice and things like that. Um, But so essentially I'm a a nurse with an advanced level of um, education that allows me to assess, diagnose, treat, prescribe uh, for um, mental health conditions in adults. And I, came into this, you know, um, primarily because, yeah, because I wanted to be able to give back, because I wanted to be able to help people in the same way that I had been helped. Um, I mean, if I'm going to be truthful about it, um, you know, I also was in my mid-40s. I had... uh, uh, I don't know if you want to call it lost everything or given away everything or whatever, but, you know, I was, um, in, I was in dire straits. Um, it's a good career, uh, to Mm -hmm. be a nurse practitioner, uh, financially. And that part can't, you know, I don't think should be, Mm -hmm. um, ignored. Um, but, um, you know, fundamentally, um, you know, I got, I, you know, like I said, it was just that brief moment with that guy in the hospital who I, that is a moment that I can identify very clearly as sort of being like before and after, like sort of old me and new me. You know who and, else says that, don't you, or said that? Huh? Do you know who else who? said a nurse saved her life and there was a moment that, that, no. that is Betty Ford? Uh, oh, really? Be- yep. Betty Ford was uh, uh, obviously a severe alcoholic and uh, tried multiple times to be sober and couldn't be sober. And she was at the, uh, uh, I think it was Bethesda Hospital uh, mm-hmm. in detox. And a nurse sat on the floor next to her on the bed and Betty Ford got on the floor and uh, Betty Ford said that was her turning moment in life. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, that, so and that the nurse was the most honest, truthful person to her at the time, right? Because oh, she was wow. the first lady and this famous woman and, you know, people coddled her and, and this nurse didn't coddle her. Told oh, her, her yeah. And she said oh. it was her, that was Betty Ford's turning oh. moment. So anyway, sorry yeah. to interrupt. Oh no, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that was, that was true for me. Yeah. yeah. And now you're COO of Karma Health. Can that's you right. tell our audience about Karma Health? Uh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, Karma is an acronym. Uh, it's Karma with a C, and it stands for Collaborative Addiction Recovery Management and Assistance. Um, when I when I was still in school um, at UT, 
uh, I was very active and vocal um, in letting people know that you know I wanted to be working in the addiction psychiatry space. Um, it was one thing. And second was that um, I intended to uh, start a practice on my own. Um, during, while I was still in school, uh, I met a guy uh, named Dr. Carlos Torado. He's an addiction psychiatrist in Austin. Um, uh, super bright guy, uh, very Great well known. psychiatrist, yeah. Great psychiatrist, for sure. Um, um, yeah, one of a kind. And um, so I was introduced to him and uh, he was good enough to take some time and have a lunch with me while I was still a student. And I kind of told him my story and uh, my background and what I wanted to do and that I wanted to start a business and this, that, the other. And, you know, him with his 20 years of healthcare experience, he was probably thinking, okay, well, <laughs> a, little, yeah. a little bit more work than what you think it's going to be. But, um, but to his credit, he believed in me and what I had to say. And uh, here in Texas, as a nurse practitioner, I, I have a delegating position. Uh, so it's sort of like a supervisory role uh, that all nurse practitioners uh, engage with position in that role. So we talked uh, about that. He agreed to be my delegating position, and he helped me start up Dripping Springs Healthcare, which is a, um, an outpatient psychiatry practice in, um, in Dripping Springs, Texas. It was during that time that I actually met Dr. Flowers when I was over there at Dripping Springs Healthcare. And then um, while I was having that practice, uh, Dr. Torado for a long time had had this um, uh, vision of, uh, of bringing addiction healthcare into the primary care space, mm -hmm. right? I mean, first and foremost, everyone needs a primary care physician, mm -hmm. right? Um, lots of addiction uh, can be treated in the outpatient space, lots of um, psychiatric uh, health concerns, behavioral health concerns can be treated uh, in the outpatient space. And most importantly, a lot of the stuff can be treated by um, a good primary care provider, right? I mean, there is no reason for people to have to get in line for three months and pay a lot of money to get um, like a little bit of Prozac, right? I right. mean, you mm -hmm. know, a lot of it is, um, uh, takes, takes thought and takes education, but, you know, a, a, um, a smart and engaging, um, and, uh, thoughtful primary care provider can and should be able to, um, manage, uh, psychiatric and addiction concerns in the outpatient space. So Dr. Trotto was really keen on starting this, um, you know, uh, interdisciplinary clinic clinic that is primarily a primary care um, practice, but also um, employs psychiatric nurse practitioners, psychiatric uh, physicians, um, uh, case managers, um, uh, therapy like LCSWs, things mm -hmm. like that. And so um, so that was sort of his, his vision. He started that, uh, with a couple other, um, like-minded investors, um, in 2017. And then as, uh, as they launched and things sort of started to happen, uh, they invited me in, uh, kind of on the management side of things, a, um, a little bit less clinical at that time, but my role is getting to be a little bit more 50, 50 now. Um, and so I started with them in January of 2018, came on as the COO and 
uh, in the three years that I've been there, I think we've probably gone from a census of a few hundred patients to I think we're closing in on 8,000 patients. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, we've grown from having one primary care provider at that time to having uh, about 14 practitioners between nurse practitioners and physicians. Um, and we've got a staff of over 20. Uh, we service a awesome. number of facilities uh, across Texas and um, actually in Florida um, and even in Tennessee and we're moving into Virginia. And it's just been a very exciting experience. Um, Congratulations. You know, yeah, thank you. Yeah, you know, trying to um, normalize addiction, healthcare, and uh, psychiatric care. You know, yeah. I remember when you guys were starting, and I remember when when uh, you were at Dripping Springs, and and then you said, "Hey, I'm going into this new role, and it's called Karma Health, and let me tell you about it." And I just got chill bumps. I remember going, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> the entrepreneur in me, right? I was like, damn it. Um, and, uh, <laughs> because it is such a missing piece around the United States, or probably around the world, is because of this, quote, stigma that, that sometimes family uh, practice physicians have and primary care doctors and, 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 and the general population, when you go in and say, hey, this is who I am and I'm an addict and what have you, they draw this picture sometimes. And you guys as a practice specialize in working with people in uh, recovery. And the amazing thing is, is, is that you don't just work at them, you know, they're not there just after treatment or during treatment, but they can be there a lifetime, right? A okay. lifespan. And, and it's yep. so amazing that they can feel, walk in and it feels like home right it's yeah. like i'm welcome here mm. and i'm an open book and i can be an open book and there's no judgment um and uh the idea was brilliant uh and it's an amazing <laughs> practice and i have begged i've done everything but get on my knees to ask karma to come to houston um, <laughs> and beg you guys so, something we often talk about uh, but uh uh i think that that you know what you guys do as a practice for this population is just uh priceless and so thanks for doing it i i appreciate it and i wanted to go back to your own life and your your addiction and your recovery um, and, you know, often what we talk about and, and what the title of this is understanding the human condition and what is yeah. the human condition. And I'd love to know your idea of the human condition and where you were and where you are now. What was your state of your own human condition and your and your active addiction versus where it is today and, and, and that span? OK. Ah. Um, I will. Uh, yeah, I'll try to answer that without sounding either clinical or 12-steppy. Either way uh, is fine. <laughs> yeah, sure. Well, um, yeah. Um, because I would like to yeah. put it in my own terms, you know, and relatable. Um, yeah. You know, being 10 years plus sober now, and looking back on my previous life, that's how it feels is a previous life. It yeah. often doesn't, it doesn't even make sense that that was me. Right. Right. It doesn't, yeah. it doesn't, it, a lot of it doesn't feel real. Um, and there at the end, 
Um, I was incredibly selfish, mm. just incredibly selfish. Um, and what I know now uh, is that I um, caused a great deal of pain and fear um, for the people who loved me. Um, I lived, I was living in Portland, Oregon. My parents were living in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, my mom changed the locks on her house. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah. <laughs> tough love. That was a long way away. Yeah, and I had never, it had never crossed my mind to like rip my parents off or anything. Right, but that right. was like sort of the level of uh, insanity that I was um, kind yeah. of broadcasting, you know? Um, um, and I, yeah, I was, I was, uh, and then at the at the very very end, you know, the last, the very very end, the the last four weeks um, was just an exceptionally frightening time. I remember um, feeling very alone, um, very dark, and I can tell you, and I'll tell you one other experience I had in two, in two thousand nine. Um, uh, I was in uh, I was in a treatment center and I, I think I was there for 28 days. Apologize for my dogs. Okay. That's all right. All right. Door, we like it. That's flavor. <laughs> I was in the treatment center and I uh, I managed to stay sober for 28 days and then I had my girlfriend come pick me up and I was drinking within about 20 minutes of leaving the treatment facility and then we went back to this little house and this guy who also discharged from the treatment center came over and we used drugs. And I remember being in that room and I know for a fact, I know for a fact that there was, call it the devil, call it demonic energy, call it negative, whatever. I could, no one can tell me any different that there was a third being in that room and it was just like evil. It, yeah. it, just, wow. it, just, it, it just was. And I remember that that feeling being so palpable. And I do remember that, um, that when I was getting sober in 2010, I would go back to that experience Hmm. and I would think to myself, well, okay, if I know that there was just like a real darkness, evil, fear, cold, empty, void, malevolent force, if, if, if I believe that that really existed, there's gotta be the opposite. There's nice. got to be the other side of it, That's right? Um, and and uh, you know, and not to get into like higher power or, or you know spirituality or any of that kind of stuff. Like everyone's got their own path to recovery, right? Everyone does their own different That's right. thing. I have I have no idea what's good, bad, or indifferent for anybody else. I only know what my truth was. But um, but to get back to the human condition part, and and I'll relate the, these two, um, as I have been in recovery, as I have abstained from substances, as I have um, lived each day, not necessarily making people's lives better, my own life better, but I, I do try to live each day and not make anybody's day any worse. Like that's my, that's my benchmark, right? If I get through a day and I didn't make anyone else's day any worse, like that's good. That's a good day. Right. Right. Um, um, what I have found is that, um, things are lighter for me. Things are brighter for me. Um, things are easier 
for me, which is not to say that life is easy and bright and light. Um, but I, I don't live in fear anymore. Mm-hmm. I, um, I don't live in lies anymore. Um, uh, and, um, and, 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 uh, yeah, it, I, you know, boy, I, I really didn't, yeah, I don't know. I can just, I can just say it like it is. Look, when I, at the end of my using, there was just a lot of, um, very dark, bad, yeah. negative shit going on. There you right? go. Yeah. And, and, and since I've gotten sober, it doesn't mean that things are perfect. doesn't, doesn't mean anything. It just means that, uh, I am so much better equipped to manage, uh, my life and, um, the world around me and as it comes to me. And, um, and, and it's just like, you hear people say, I mean, if you just keep doing the next right thing, I mean, mm-hmm. the stuff just builds on itself and it stacks and gets, yeah. gets better and flourishes. And, and, and I will tell you this, if someone had told me that, you know, when I was getting sober that, you know, at three years, you will have rebuilt X amount and at six years, you'll have rebuilt X amount and at 10 yeah. years, you'll have rebuilt X amount. Yeah. On the one hand, I would have said, well, Jesus, <laughs> 10 years, yeah. man, to get the hair. Like, I, I don't know if I could. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> but in that time, yeah. but there's also that sort of thing, like, you know, dream your wildest dreams and you will see that what you get, like, is going to make that stuff sort of pale in comparison. Absolutely. And I, found yeah. that there's, I found that there's a lot of truth in that too. Just like the, the mystery and the joy and the color, and, you know, all the cool stuff. You know, not to be like a proselytizer for like, oh, get sober and everything's gonna be cool. But I got sober and everything's cool. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good inspirational story. Yeah, a great success story it is for those great... who are listening. It really is. That's yeah, yeah. Um, is. yeah. So, fortunate. so fortunate. You know, you work with a lot of, uh, uh, or, or virtually work with all of our uh, patients at J Flowers mm-hmm. Health Institute, and being a mental health professional, uh, being a psychiatric nurse practitioner. And then working in recovery, being in recovery. Um, what's one piece of advice you'd give the audience that has a family member that's struggling with depression or bipolar or even borderline and addiction together? Kind of that comorbid mental health addiction uh, combination. And, uh, you know, there's lots of parents out there and moms and dads and brothers and sisters that have someone in their family that they just don't know what to do, how to help them. Yeah. What, yeah. what, what advice do you have, uh, wrapping up here today? Oh, <sighs> <laughs> um, it, you know, it, it's it's kind of there's there's a, a a strange balance that I've got to encourage the families of the ill patient to strike, which yeah. is, you know, don't give up on your loved one, you know, right. um, and uh, provide all the support you can, but hold your boundaries, right? Um, you know, I I did not understand what you know how much of a family disease addiction was until. You know, I went through it. I remember going to one treatment facility and you know, after like a day, I was like, oh, I need the phone. I got to call my parents. They're like, no, actually, your parents need a break from you, dude. Yeah. Like, yeah. You, do, you do not <laughs> need to call them. They don't want to be here. <laughs> oh, my gosh. But there's, but there's so much 
about addiction that impacts the entire family system yeah. and you know and and the the non-using part of the family um you know out of a place of love often winds up um in sort of this enabling profile right you know um mm-hmm. and winds up um being hurt and sort of you know going through their their own kind of stuff um so you know the advice that i would offer to families is you know love your loved one support your loved one but oh my gosh first and foremost love and support yourself because you know i'm not telling anyone anything they don't know you can't change someone else you know yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. that's right you know, all, you, all you can do is change yourself and look out for yourself uh, and it's the hardest thing in the world to do to love someone from a distance and to tell someone that you know um you've done what you can do and that this is the kind of support you're willing to offer, you know, uh, but ultimately that's it. You got to yeah. take care of yourself first and, um, and your loved one is going to choose to get better or not get better. And that's just a very, very difficult, uh, almost kind of like a TV show that you got to watch, you know? Absolutely. Sometimes soap opera. Well, I have no <laughs> doubt. I have, I have no doubt that eventually your family's door was reopened to you. And and I'm yeah. not sure if your mother ever gave you a key to her front door again, <laughs> but I know that door is probably open for you. They've got to be things really proud. Things, yeah. things are better than I could have ever imagined. Yeah, that's, that's so awesome. cool. Yeah. Uh, how do people reach uh, Karma Health and look at your website and how do they reach uh, you guys? Yeah, awesome. Thanks for asking. Yes. Uh, kar- KarmaHealth.com. Karma with a C uh, and karmapsychiatry.com, also karma with a C. Uh, you can Google us in um, uh, all your Google pages. We are in Austin, in Dripping Springs, uh, and actually in Florida. Uh, and uh, if someone really wanted to find us, I'm sure they could uh, go through the Flowers Institute and Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I can't thank you enough for doing this and spending time. I know how busy you are and uh, really running Karma Health and your own practice and everything that you do in your life. And huge congratulations on on your sobriety and the life that you live today, because, you know, I try to strive to to. Uh, be as good of a person as you are, David, all the time. <laughs> and so thanks for being a part of what we do. And thanks for being a part of what it, what we do today. Robin, Thank how you. do people reach us? Jflowershealth.com. Or they can call us at 713-783-6655. And please mention that you heard our podcast. Absolutely. Yeah. David, thank you thank so you. much. Yeah. Well, thank you. And I, if, I, if I can just add one thing, Dr. Flowers, I want to uh, thank you for having me. And uh, it should be acknowledged that when I started working with you, I was a relatively green practitioner. And uh, you have played a significant role in my uh, professional development. Oh. Um, I hold you very dear to my heart. Thank oh. you. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now I'm going to cry. I know. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, David. All right. Love you, See man. you soon. Yeah. All right. See Bye. you soon. Bye-bye. Thank All right. Okay. Thanks, y'all. Yeah.